you can take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 124, that's where we'll be chiefly tonight. I remember when we were in Louisville, I was in a particularly difficult time in my life, uh, harboring sin in my own heart, causing much discord in the house, sinning against God and against my wife. And uh, I remember sitting with our pastor, Tom Schreiner, and Tom says, just that the fight of faith is hard. And uh, it is. The Christian life is hard. And uh, even as we were singing there, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing. He, my strength, my victory wins. So many of our great hymns, doesn't it? List things like this, that the Christian life is a fight. And it's difficult, right? It's not nearly as beautiful as sometimes we get some glamorous ideas that Oh, we will somehow be in an ivory tower. But it's difficult. How do we, where does strength come from? I mean, it's easy to sing words, right? It's easy to sing good hymns and get wrapped up in them. But when we're really down to the fight, where's your strength going to come from? Where is your assurance going to come from in days when you could just throw your hands up and say, okay, that's it. I'm afraid. Let's just stop the world. Let me get off. This is it. Or this sin is just too difficult for me to deal with. Let it just run its course. I'm tired of fighting about it. Where does strength come from to fight in those days? Where does assurance, comfort, where do these things come from? Well, in Psalm 124, we get a picture of this. Eight short verses. This is one of the songs of ascent. Uh, the pilgrims would be making their way to Jerusalem. They would be singing this on the way to worship God. At one of the great feasts. And they would come together in great numbers and they would worship God. And this is one of the songs that they would use to prepare their hearts to worship in Jerusalem. And so I think it is fitting and we'll see where our strength, where our confidence, where our assurance comes from but also that we may live lives of worship, I pray that we'll grasp these truths and hold these truths and that we will model what we see here from David as well, the confidence that he has. Well, before we read it, let's ask for God's help. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we ask that you will speak to us. Lord, through... Through your word and by the ministry of your spirit, illuminate the meanings of the meaning of these words, we pray. Grant that as a result of our time in the word tonight, we will not just be hearers, but doers of the word also. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let's hear Psalm 124. Had it not been for the Lord who was on our side... Let Israel now say, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. 
When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, if God had not intervened in your life, where would you be tonight? Where would you be if God had not intervened in your life? If he had not stepped in, if he had not delivered you, delivered you from the bondage of sin, if he had not uh, brought you out of corruption and brought you into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where would you be? If he had not, in his providence, brought you into a covenant relationship with himself and with his people, where would you be? If he had not brought you under the sound of of his word, if he had not answered your prayers, if God had not done these things, where would you be tonight? That's the question that the psalmist is asking here in Psalm 124. This is how he starts it off. He's, he's thinking about the hand of God, the intervention of God in his life. He's thinking about all that God has done, all the mighty acts of God, and how God has demonstrated this intervention in his own life. This has been a, this song of deliverance has been one of the favorite songs uh, for the Christian church through the ages. It's the French Protestants oftentimes will start their service with this call to worship. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And that's a good thing to set our minds upon when we enter into worship, isn't it? The key thought of the psalm is that eighth verse right there. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But you'll see in the whole psalm, as we're going to walk through it, it divides up in three sections, which is pretty common, right? Verses 1 and 2 are going to say the exact same thing as verse 8, only in the negative. Verse 8 is going to be positively stated. Verses 1 and 2 is going to be stated negatively. And those middle verses, verses 3 to 7, is kind of like the meat of the sandwich. So if you can picture the sandwich, a layer on top, bread, the meat in the middle, like uh, the BLT, and then on the bottom you've got another slice of bread. That's how this psalm's going to divide up. Three sections, two out, outside layers and one inside layer. layer. Well, let's take this first two verses then. This outer layer of the sandwich, this top layer, first things we come to. Notice he starts off by stating this very negatively, doesn't he? It's a game we all played when we were children. I used to crawl up underneath the sink, put my legs up under the sink, and play I was an astronaut. I'd pretend. I'm sure you would have pretend games long before there were Wii's. We used to have to use our minds. And we would pretend things. And this is what he says. Let's pretend here. Let's pretend had it not been for the Lord who was on our side. Let's just pretend for a moment that, if, that God had not stepped into our lives. That he didn't do what he did. Imagine if we were left to our own desires, to our own initiative, if we were left to our own resources, to our own wisdom, where would we be? 
Where would you be? What would you be doing? What state would you be in? Well, some, something of the background of the psalm may help us as well. Psalm 124, the background setting is 2 Samuel chapter 5. You, you remember the story how David takes his army. They defeat the Jebusites in Jerusalem. They defeat them. And then as soon as they do this, though, we, see, we read the Philistines in 2 Samuel chapter 5. The Philistines are coming up to, to fight with David and his army at full force. I mean, a mighty army. They're coming and they're going to do battle. And the Philistines came up against David and his men. And according to 2 Samuel chapter 5, David and his men went against them in a place called Parasium. And the Philistines were defeated there. And, and so they try a counterattack. And they're going to attack at another place, the, the Valley of Rephium. And again, David is given the sense by God to do a countermaneuver. He comes up behind them unawares. And you read these wonderful words. Wonderful if you're on David's side, anyway. That David struck down all the Philistines from Gibeon to Gezer. So that's the military background that's behind the psalm. But I, I find it interesting, if you just read Psalm 124, you, didn't get, you don't see any kind of military language. You, you don't see these things necessarily uh, sounding like uh, other, other places where you read of not trusting in chariots and horses. You don't read that in Psalm 124. And while that's the root of the inspiration of Psalm 124, the context, the context doesn't actually tell us that. Because I think this context is all of our context. Trials, difficulties, hostilities, being surrounded by the enemies, your enemies, and the enemies of God. This is the Christian life. This is a portrait of what the Christian life's like, what it is to be a child of God. Trials, difficulties. And the psalmist tells us, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. Here's the picture, if you will, of a church in trouble. It's a picture of a church in difficulty. A picture of a church facing hostility or trial. Again and again, in every century of the church, men and women have known, haven't they? Trial, difficulty. Well, they know what it means to be engulfed by the world. They know what it means to be attacked by the enemies of God, both from inside and from outside. They know, and we as individuals know, don't we, what it means to have our faith tested, tried, sometimes failing. You remember the words of Jesus to his disciples, don't you? If the world hates you, well bear in mind it hated me first. So don't be caught off guard, Jesus says. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught surprised by trials, difficulties that come into your life. The world, in the world you shall have tribulation. And that's primarily because Satan is out to bring you down. He is set to bring you down. That's his objective. That's his aim. To despise everything that is Christ. To manipulate to oppose, to twist everything, to make life as difficult as possible. So I ask you again, where would you be if God had not intervened in your life? 
if you had not known the power of God at work in your lives. And not just when you first believed, but every day. Every day. It's like Josiah Condor's great hymn, isn't it? Tis not I that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, had thou not chosen me, thou from the sin that stained me has cleansed and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained that I should live to thee. It's a testimony, isn't it? When we ask this question, when we play this let's pretend, where would we be? It's a testimony, isn't it, of God's power. It's a testimony of God's initiative, God's work in the life of the believer, in the life of the child of God. This is a testimony that he has done great things. And that's where this begins. And that's where every context begins. God has been at work. So imagine if God had not been at work in your life. Imagine the problems that would be there, that could have happened. Imagine the situations that would have come about if God hadn't intervened. Well, that's what the psalmist is asking. If he had not been working all things together for good to those who love him, If our covenant God had not been obligated by reason of that covenant to do you good, to bring you safe all the way to glory, where would we be? Imagine. Imagine the, and we can even think, imagine the darkness of where we would be. Imagine the pain that your life would be in. Not necessarily even physical pain. That, that, the, the horror of where we would be if God had not been on our sides. If you haven't known again and again the ministry of Almighty God in your life, where would we be? And so the psalmist moves from this verses 1 and 2 into showing it, amplifying it, giving you pictures. I like books with pictures. And here it is. He gives you four beautiful pictures of where we would be. Here they are. Very graphic Very detailed pictures. It's not immediately obvious even what he's talking about, is it, in verse 3? When men rose up against it. They would have swallowed us alive. He's not talking about cannibals here. The enemies have surrounded him. But then he says that they would have swallowed us up alive. This first picture, it's, it's an earthquake. It's a metaphor of an earthquake. The ground opening up, you going into the pit and being swallowed alive by the ground. The walls of the earth falling in on you. Imagine where you would, if God had not been on your side, if God had not been working for you, if he had not brought you to Jesus Christ, just imagine it would be like falling into a pit and having the walls of the earth Crash down upon you. That's what it would be like. Or the next metaphor in verses 4 and 5. This picture of floodwaters engulfing us. Sweeping over us. Israel, you can imagine the hard ground of the country there. How it would rain and floodwaters would rise quickly. So you can even think of some later stories, can't you, of the man who builds his house on the sand. What happens? The rains come down, washes it away, doesn't it, children? It it doesn't take long for these floodwaters to rise. 
Everything may be fine today. Tomorrow, everything's changed because it's all been gone. It's all been washed away. But here's the picture that he gives us. If the Lord had not intervened into our lives, it would be like our worst nightmare, engulfed by this raging torrent, billows pouring over us to destroy us. That's what it would be like. Verse 6, we have another metaphor, don't we? This beast of prey with these sharp teeth, just these tusks ready to rip you to shreds. That's the picture here, isn't it? It's not the gold retriever that goes and softly gets your bird and brings them back to you after you've shot. No, no, this is the ravenous beast who's prowling up behind you He's going to tear you to shreds. He's going to grab you in his teeth. It's, gra- it's a graphic picture, isn't it? And or verse 7 is the, the, fi- the final metaphor. It's like that fowler. He catches the bird in its snare and it's caught. The bird's not going to get out. He's trapped. And you see what the psalmist is doing, don't you? Where would we be if God had not stepped into our lives? You'd be swallowed up. You would be engulfed. You would be in the teeth of this ravenous beast. And you'd be trapped. And there'd be no way out if God had not intervened. And for some, it's just like that, isn't it? Maybe tonight you feel like that. That you are trapped. That you're engulfed. That you're being shredded. That there's no hope. And for others, that this is our testimony. We know what it is to have been on the very brink of the ravine. We know what it is to hear the raging waters come and we're almost engulfed. We know what it is to hear the snort of the beast behind us. can smell him coming up behind us. And yet we've been preserved. We've seen the trap. Our foot has almost stepped into the trap. We've almost been caught. Certainly, when we come to Christ, this is a a beautiful picture, isn't it? Where would we be if God had not been on our side? Given to our own perverse lives. But also as the believer. Where would we be if God wasn't constantly intervening in our lives? We would be in a state of despair, friends. I think of a, of a couple who's about to have their first child, and there's great, there's excitement, isn't it? Having that first child, the joy that's coming with it, and they're so excited, and then they have the baby, and they find out it's a Downs baby. And immediately, all their emotions change from joy to first maybe some guilt. Did we wait too long to have this baby? Or then maybe they just become scared. Our lives are going to be so much different than the lives that we thought we were going to have. They're almost engulfed. They're almost ensnared. They're almost trapped. But then God comes to them in the power of His Spirit. He teaches them that this is God's gift to them. And they enter into joy of that gift. Or or maybe, it's easy to picture, isn't it, falling into personal sin. Struggling with personal sin. And temptation just seems too great to overcome. It's too great. It's just controlling my whole lives. I can't even fight against it. And there's the threat, isn't it, of being swallowed by it, 
of being engulfed by it, entrapped by it. And it's, it's easy, isn't it? Personal sin, fighting it. We can come up with every excuse in the world why it's okay to excuse our own sin. We're great at coming up with excuses for ourselves. Many would stand beside us and help us justify our own sin. You can picture, can't you? The one struggling with homosexual desires. How many would come alongside of him and say, this is just how you are. Don't worry about it. Personal sin. It's there. But just right when you're about to be entrapped, the ministry of the Holy Spirit energizes your soul and releases you. It gives you grace to resist sin and you don't find yourself ensnared, entrapped. There's hundreds of other examples, isn't it, we could give. Where would we be if God had not stepped in and intervened? We would be swallowed. We would be engulfed. We would be shredded to pieces. We would be trapped if God had not been on our sides. Well, what, what's the reason then? What's the reason we have not been engulfed? Here in verse 8, he puts it in the positive, doesn't he? Here's that bottom layer of the sandwich. If God, remember the negative he started off with, where would we be if God had not stepped in? Now he says it in the positive. What's the reason why we haven't been engulfed? What's the reason we haven't been entrapped? What's the reason we haven't been shredded to pieces? It's because the work of the sovereign covenant God, the Lord, the covenant Lord of heaven and earth, he's on our side. God is on our side. Who is our help? Who is our deliverer? Who is on our side? The psalmist says it's the Lord, the covenant God of Israel. Verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Our help is in God's name. Did you recognize that? Interesting, isn't it? Not many on TV, I don't think, today would say such things. Our help is in his name. Maybe if they meant it in a magical sense, like there was some kind of magic behind it. Sometimes you hear God's name thrown around that way. What's it mean? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. In the Bible, names are important, aren't they? You can think of some of them. Abraham's name means father of nations, father of multitude. Jacob's name is a deceiver. Isaac's name means he laughs. Ishmael's name means God hears. Isaiah's name means God is salvation. Even Jesus, why did the angels say he was going to be named Jesus? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Names are important, aren't they? And God has a name. God has a name. And so when you say our help is in the name of the Lord, we don't mean some magical name like some kind of mantra we can just throw out there and we're going to be safe. What's it mean our help is in the name of the Lord? You can flip back to Exodus chapter 3 where we will be helped immensely to grasp this. What's it mean? You remember, right? Back in Exodus chapter 3, 
Moses is asked to go back to Egypt. You remember what he says? What name shall I, shall I give you? What name shall I give you? In verse 12, God tells him, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to, to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this, at this mountain. But it's as though Moses says, yeah, that, that's fine, but what name shall I give you? What name shall I use? And God says in verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, if we're honest, we'll say, what does that mean? What does that mean? We're not going to be all pious and go, oh. what does that mean for some, I am what I am. What does that mean? It means more than just that God exists. You hear that a lot of times. It means God's there. It certainly does mean that. God does exist. But it means more than that. The context of what's going on here, it means more than just saying, I exist. It probably means, doesn't it, God is saying to Moses, and he's just said it, hasn't he? I will be with you, Moses. When you go back into Egypt, I will be with you. Well, what name shall I use? My name is I Am. Seems to imply God's telling Moses, My name is I am with you, Moses. I am with you. I will be with you. And that's my name. And that's what it means to have a covenant Lord go wherever you go. In whatever set circumstances you find yourself in. He says, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. God is with you. When enemies surround you, God says, I will be with you. My very name tells you I have not deserted you. That's who is on our side. Who is the God who is on our side? It is this covenant God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth. Who is the hour? God is on our side. Again, Exodus 3 tells us this. And I praise the Lord for the passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that was read as well. In chapter 5 as well of Hebrews. Where we see these same elements here, don't we? Who is the hour? It's those who profess the name of the covenant Lord. Those who cry to this covenant Lord in all their distress who look to him for grace and mercy. Brother Keith read that when we come to the throne of grace. We find help, don't we? Mercy and grace are are there. In in Exodus 3, verses 6 and 7, we see it in that same passage where uh, Moses is being directed. He says in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because they're taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. It's those who cry out to the Lord. Look to Him for grace and mercy. And what does it mean to say then that God is on our side? The answer is that His presence never forsakes us. 
No matter how difficult things seem to become, God never forsakes his people. His presence never abandons us. You know, we're involved with a church plan up in Sharonville. I'm sinful and struggle with sin, and it's easy to be disappointed when you show up on a Sunday and it's you and your wife. (laughs) It's easy to become discouraged. Where does strength come in those nights? God's presence does not forsake us. What happens here at Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church? You just feel like there's an onslaught from the enemy. How does a church sustain itself? How does a church find strength to press on and continue? It's in this covenant name of God. He will not leave you. His presence is always with his people. You remember what happened with Elisha and his servant there in Dothan? Remember the enemy is coming and they've surrounded the mountain. They're all around in their fine military wares. In the morning, the servant gets up, he washes his face, he rubs his eyes, and he looks around, he sees all the enemy. He says, alas, master, we're doomed, we're surrounded. And what does Elisha pray? He prays that the Lord will open the eyes of his servant. And God does open his eyes, doesn't he? And what's he see? He sees horses and chariots of fire. And they were greater, weren't they, than the number of the enemy. What's... what's the reason behind it. What's, what's the story about? God was on their side. Greater than any enemy could be. That's what it means that God is on our side. A sovereign protector have I, unseen yet forever at hand, unchangeably faithful to stay, almighty to rule and command. Grasp that. The psalmist is saying grasp. Hold on to that. God is irrevocably committed to you in the covenant of grace. He will not forsake it. This Old Testament psalm, it's echoed, isn't it? In Romans chapter 8, the great verse that everyone loves. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? It's the God of grace committing himself, absolutely, unequivocally, to the good of his people for whom he sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to rise again in order to promise and assure eternal, everlasting life. This is God, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is David here who says this, doesn't he? That God is on his side. David, think about David's circumstances. David worked for a megalomaniac boss, didn't he? David, whose son was rebellious, incestuous, and murderous. David can stand and say, God is on my side. This covenant of grace is sure. God has made a covenant. It's ordered. It's sure. It's the source of David's strength. It's no wonder that in verse 6 David can say, Blessed be the Lord. Though he's surrounded by enemies, he can say, Blessed be the Lord. God is on our side. Well, blessed be the Lord. Praise the Lord. And all that he would call forth from your heart and from my heart that we would think about where we would be tonight if it hadn't been for the God of the covenant of grace operating in our lives, intervening in our lives. Where would we be? 
Praise God. Praise God at every moment, every step of the way, all the way to glory for his providence. And that he is irrevocably for us, that he never leaves us. He never abandons us and he never forsakens us. I pray this will give you strength and confidence in the daily fight. I pray this will encourage you as a church through difficult days. Let us pray together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these sweet notes of assurance, of blessing that come from this great psalm. Lord, how this psalm has encouraged your people through the centuries. So we don't sell out to pop psychology to make us feel good. But we get our hope and our confidence and our assurance from your word and from who you are. You are the covenant God. The Lord who's made heaven and earth. So help us, O Lord, along with David to look to you. You have made this covenant, you who keep this covenant. And we ask that you will keep us, keep us every step of the way, all the way till we get to that celestial city. Hear us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.